Dr. Neely has worked in the mental health field for over 20 years and has been the Chief Executive Officer of Neely Counseling Center since 2001. She's enjoyed serving in an array of capacities throughout her career, including psychotherapy, professor, consultant, and counselor supervisor. She has appeared on national radio and television shows as a guest expert speaking about confidence, self-esteem, anxiety, and relationship satisfaction. Dr. Neely's children's book titled Straight Talk was published in 2014 and won the prestigious Indie Excellent Book Award finalist division. This book is a cumulation of Dr. Neely's groundbreaking quantitative research in the area of hair shaming and self-esteem for girls of color. In 2017, she joined the University of Texas Health Science Center Medical School as a behavioral health consultant. In that role, she spearheaded an effort to combat the epidemic of physician suicide and helped to create the medical school's first physician counseling program. Dr. Neely currently manages the day-to-day operations of a counseling center and serves as an adjunct professor for St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. She spends a large portion of her time writing, teaching, and speaking to an audience on issues relating to self-esteem and anxiety. She holds a master's degree in psychology from Sam Houston State University, a master's degree in counseling from Prairie View A&M University, and a PhD in counseling education from St. Mary's University. Well, I have to say I'm really excited about this podcast. Not that I'm not excited about all my other ones, but uh, Dr. Neely and I um, used to office in the same place, and she came walking by a conference room that I was in and stopped and said hello, and from that um, has become, I think, just a great mutual respect when I brought Angst, uh, a documentary on anxiety to San Antonio. She was the one I reached out to and said, I want you to be our mental health professional on the panel and is a person I refer clients to, just tons of respect. And I'm excited to have her talk to us about the field of being a therapist, a mental health professional, which is we have a major, major need in our society. And I can't think of anyone better. So thank you so much for saying yes to me. Absolutely. I am so excited to have this conversation with you as well. Well, what's really funny about this in the spirit of honesty is that she invited me to be on her podcast probably (laughs) six, eight months ago. And from that, I'm here today. So had it not been for her, I wouldn't have said, I want to get on this crazy train and and start doing a podcast about people's career stories. So So you're giving me some credit for the wonderful podcast that you have? Yes. Well, it is a work in progress. I'm always very humbled to say that because if you listen to Dr. Neely's um, Drop the BS, Mm -hmm. um, she is incredible. So a little plug for her. Well, thank you. Well, I always start out because I'm curious about how people got to where they are. Um, Everyone has different stories, and so I would love to hear what made you decide that you wanted to take on an enormous journey of tons of education to get where you are today. 
Yes. So, you know, kind of thinking in my head and going back, it really was junior year in high school. I found out that they were offering a class, a psychology, like an intro to psychology class. It wasn't on my schedule. But the minute I saw it, I was like, I have to have this class. Ran down the hallway, busted into my um, counselor's office and said, please change my schedule. And she did. And she changed it. And I fell in love with this class. I remember being in the class and was one of those classes that had all the cool kids in it because everybody thought it was going to be like the easy class. And so we're sitting in the back and I'm like trying to be cool with them. But at the same point, I'm like, I am so obsessed with this, trying to listen, but still be cool. So really, that's when I fell in love with it. But if I go back, I've always just been curious about what makes people do what mm-hmm. they do. I remember uh, looking at my parents when they would have disagreements and I in my head, I'm like, hmm, mom, why don't you say this? And why don't you say that? So I was 14 going on 40. Mm-hmm. I was that kid that was always a little more just curious about people. People and what makes them do what they do. So you went to college and you knew you wanted to be a therapist. I knew, you know, it's so confusing because at the time I knew I wanted to do something in psychology. Honestly, mm. I couldn't tell you if it was like, what's the difference between a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist? I knew I wanted to help people, but I was very confused about looking back very confused about what each thing would entail, what it took, but I was going to major in psychology and Mm -hmm. kind of start there and figure it out. Mm -hmm. So when you finished your degree, did you then know what you were going to do or were you still like... Where do I go from here? So I had student loans. So the first thing on my mind was, can anybody hire me, please? I need a job. Mm -hmm. So I immediately went back home. I had my undergraduate and I got this amazing opportunity to work in a psychiatric outpatient mental health hospital. And it was like... Every single thing you could ever imagine was there. And so it was like two minutes from my house. It was perfect. And so I worked there for a while. And that's when I began to meet people who had a a Mm. LPC, licensed professional counselor. I I started to understand that, um, wait a minute, there are different directions. I had a psychologist on staff. There was a psychiatrist on staff. So I started to see how they uh, moved about the place, what they did, how they talked, how they engaged. And so I quickly realized that. Um, I wanted to be with the clients. Mm. I wanted to be there. So I'm like, I know I'm going to be definitely on on either the counselor end of it or either on the psychologist end of it. Mm -hmm. And you didn't do any internships in college? I did not. I didn't Mm. do any internships in college. I, you know, took classes and did lots of volunteer work. And and so maybe also that kind of helped me a little bit too. Mm -hmm. I was in a sorority. And so we did lots of volunteers with volunteer work with kids and adolescents and things like that. Well, and the reason I ask that, that's always something I encourage my clients to seek out when they start to go look at campuses. And if they know they want to go into the mental health field is asking about that internship. Do they have a formalized program? I'm really, really, really passionate. And you're, that's phenomenal that you were able to find someplace after graduation that allowed to that hands-on experience, even though you had the degree, you then realized, okay, if I'm going to be in this field, (laughs) that was just the beginning, right? You had to go get a master's degree. Yes. So I quickly, I probably, I didn't take very long. I knew I wanted to go back. So probably within a year and a half, I decided to go back to school and I decided to get my master's. And so that's when I really began to understand, wait a minute, there's a difference between being a social worker or Mm -hmm. being a counselor 
counselor or a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And so once again, initially, actually, I started out down the, I was going to get a master's level psycholo- psychologist degree where I would do school counseling and do school assessments mm-hmm. um, from a psychologist standpoint. Started it and realized, wait a minute, I'm going to be doing assessments all day. <laughs> like, I'm not going to get to talk to them. And and so I backed out of that. I was going to the University of Houston and I decided, wait a minute, I this is not what I want to do. I want to make sure I am um, in a in a position that I can actually help people. And mm-hmm. so I decided to go a different route and get a master's in counseling. Right. Well, and a lot of people, as I try and educate the journey to this career, um, my background actually is in business. My undergrad is in business. And then my master's is in counseling. So you don't actually have to have an undergrad in what the counseling master field. You may have to do some leveling courses, but just for people who listen, especially my adults, um, because half of my clients are adults, if they say, gosh, you know, I want to go back into this field, then you actually can go in and get a master's. And it's when it gets great, by the way. For my young adults who sometimes they don't love the, the formal um, learning. They're curious, but I always say to them, gosh, you know, don't think I don't want to consider a career that requires a master's degree because it's so much school. I say because that's when it's the best learning of your entire life. I so agree with you because that's when it really gets good. Mm-hmm. You're just focused in on what you really want to do. So every single class, you're excited because it's something that you're going to be able to take and apply it to what you're doing later on. And that's, I mean, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, everything I'm learning right now, I'm going to get to use it. Yes, it's great. My daughter is in her MBA program in Nashville. And when we talk, you know, as often as we talk, I'll say, how are your class? She's like, mom, I Love them. <laughs> they are so interesting. She said to me the other day, her high school teachers will not appreciate this. She's like, I read a book for the first time. And I said, isn't it amazing when you open up the first page and you actually finish <laughs> the last page? You get to the end of yeah, it. Yeah, so it is great. Okay, so you finished your master's degree, and then what did you do? So I finished my master's, and as you just um, said, you have to get licensure. So Mm -hmm. the next step was, so four years of an undergrad that I did, I did the two years of a master's, and then I started this process of becoming licensed. So for the next two and a half years, uh, I spent under the tutelage of someone where they mentored me and trained me and talked to me, and I met with them weekly and talked about cases that I was having and interactions and, and just really helped me become professional at the field. So by the time you're done, Mm. you know, you have, you know, I did four years, my two plus my two years, plus it took me two and a half more years Mm -hmm. just to be able to be fully licensed. Um, At the time, because I am a little bit older, um, we had to take our licensure test after. So we would have to go through that whole process and then take the test to see if you can actually pass it because you can't get licensed. Mm-hmm. They got smart. The LPC board or Licensed Professional Counselor Board got smart and decided, hey, let's make them take this test before they do mm. two more years right. because a lot of people weren't passing it and they were going, wait a minute, mm. I've just spent the last six years of my life and now I can't pass this exam. Right. And so I took the exam and um, I, now I was officially a Licensed Professional Counselor. All through this process, though, I was working. I Mm -hmm. never really just went to school. I always had a job as well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people um, don't realize that once you finish your master's, you get your cap and gown. (laughs) You think it's great. What people don't understand is that after that, 
it's almost like an intern. I'm going to kind of dumb it down. But, I mean, it's about three to 4,000 hours that you have to complete, depending on what state you're in, before you can get licensed. And you're not paid. Sometimes it's unpaid. And then sometimes it's just a tiny... Absolutely. Absolutely. I was always so lucky because I landed in positions to where I was actually getting to do some counseling, Mm -hmm. some real counseling, and I was getting a little bit of money. Um, And so, but you're right, it's not a lot of money. Um, And so, actually, in Texas, they call it licensed professional counselor intern. You are considered to have a temporary license, but you're not fully licensed. You can't set up shop, open a private practice, nothing like that. So, you're really getting a little bit of money and you're just learning, 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 learning. Mm -hmm. The journey is a very long journey. So you really have to have a heart for this or you're going to want to bail. Right. So how long did you do that before you decided to go back and get a PhD? So I did that for a long time. I would say almost about seven or eight years where I worked as a licensed professional counselor. I worked in um, outpatient. So I, I outpatient, inpatient, I had the ability or privilege, I should say, to work with a lot of different populations. So I work with adults. I work with birth to three. I worked with teenagers, just a a plethora of different type of people. So I got lots of experience. And then um, I also opened a private practice because I could because I was already licensed. So I had a job that paid me like my benefits and all that stuff like that. And on the side, I set up a small private practice where I just slowly started to build, started to see clients, started to kind of get my feet wet having my own business. So I started pretty early. Almost as soon as I got licensed, I I started my practice, Mm -hmm. but I kept a job too because that was going to pay the bills and that was going to get. So I did that for about seven years. And then I realized, I said, you know what? I really want more. Mm -hmm. I love what I'm doing, but I feel like I don't know enough. I want to know more. I want to be the best at what I um, am doing. Mm -hmm. And I would say that with the, this field in general, any of the counseling fields, the learning never ends. You have to have continuing education courses, um, going to conference. The field is changing. You know, that's, I think, one thing. You have to be very curious and be a lifelong learner. It's not where you're going to get your degree and you're done. You know, absolutely. And I think the big part of this is that you have people's lives in your hands. Right. You're dealing sometimes with somebody that may be suicidal, Mm -hmm. homicidal. And so to not be on the forefront of what is going on could put you at risk for, um, you know, putting somebody else in harm's Mm -hmm. way. So absolutely getting continuing education is something that we're constantly doing. And you you have to kind of just want it yourself, even if it's not because the board says I need it. Mm -hmm. You have to always be curious about, wait a minute, I, I think I know a little bit about that theory, but what else could I learn? Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. I jokingly say when we're talking about career development that it's not, we're not talking about where you're going to go on spring break or on a summer holiday. It's big life decisions and it really impacts all aspects of who you are, your family. If you're not happy in that job, you know, how your children view you and how they view work. Um, they're all that goes into it. So, yeah, you're right. It's it's big life decisions that I think sometimes we hear the the word coaches. And Dr. Neely's smiling. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a big smile. <laughs> we have a lot of these conversations. Yes. And it's a big field. And I think I, obviously, from a career standpoint, I want people to be in something they're passionate about. And typically they go into those fields because they've experienced something and they feel like they have something to offer. Um, there are lots of certifications now. Um, But there is a difference between counseling 
and coaching, there are the, the degree in and of itself begins that. Yes, and right now, um, yes, there are some regulations that are coming out for coaches, but it's not regulated across the board. Right. And so you have people who will take the time and go to school for a year and learn about the industry and some people who pop up and some online course they take, which is two or three months, and hey, they're, now they're a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe there is a place for coaching. My problem, honestly, as you saw me kind of smiling, is that just because you've been through something mm-hmm. doesn't qualify you to do it. So I I went through one divorce doesn't mean I now need to help mm-hmm. everyone else with a divorce because that your divorce may be very different from anybody else's. And so I'm always a little bit hesitant with that. Mm-hmm. I, I think if a coach understands their role and gets the um, gets the training, then, man, that is amazing. But if you're just setting up shop, then I got a problem with you. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes it's hard to isolate. A lot of times coaches say, well, you know, I'm going to refer out if the person needs mental health um, help. But sometimes it's so connected. You may be talking about their career or something that happened with the boss, but then you realize, oh, you're having anxiety, Mm -hmm. you know. And so it's very difficult to say, oh, wait, stop. Don't talk anymore. You know, these things are connected. And if they don't have a little bit of that training, I think it becomes extremely problematic. So I want the field to get regulated. I want, you know, them to uh, get regulated. I think the other thing I will say, and this is all to my counselors out there, a lot of times the coaching industry is coming in and they are commanding high prices. Mm. And, um, you know, they're not afraid to say, hey, it's a thousand dollars to meet with me. But yet as a counselor, sometimes we're afraid to ask for 60 bucks. And so, you know, the business savvy of the coaching industry, Mm -hmm. I feel is eating into the kind of licensed professional Mm -hmm. counseling industry. And we as professionals need to get a little more savvy in terms of saying, hey, you're not just going to encroach upon our industry mm-hmm. without um, us coming back and saying, get get licensed, get regulated as right. well. Yeah. And there are some assessments that I use. You have to have a background in counseling to administer them. Because if you don't know what you're looking at, mm-hmm. then you miss it. Um, so, and you know, the, the, the pay part is something I always want to talk about. I think it's important. Um, obviously, I will say this with some of the, in what you say about the coaches and one thing I will say about the counseling side, mm-hmm. um, often counselors don't realize their worth. It's really fascinating to me because it's, it's almost in some ways like teachers. They're just thrilled they get to do what they do. And to talk about money almost is a taboo. It's like, well, I'm not doing it for the right reasons, but I say you have to be sustainable. You can't help people if you're not making money and taking care of yourself. It's kind of a two-prong approach. And, you know, when clients look at the salaries, even though we have a massive need in the mental health field, Mm -hmm. um, we have a 23% growth within the U.S. Um, The Department of Labor is 6.5. And so there are projected 41,000 jobs that need to be filled every year. Um, Right now in the U.S., there are 19,000 jobs on Indeed being advertised. And then, of course, we live in Texas. It's a 26% growth. Um, And right now we have 714 that have to be filled. And so, and that is just mental health. Like if you just talk mental health, if you add in the counselor piece, on Indeed right now, there are almost three thousand jobs that need to be filled. So when you look at a career and they start out around 28,000, 
uh, average is about 44, and then 72 is the high for the U.S. Texas, we're a little bit higher than that. Um, we start out at 29, it's 44,000 for average, and then 70,000. One thing I told Dr. Neely I wanted to talk about was how can we talk, how can we include and increase and make it a sustainable living? I think there are multiple ways to do that. I teach a class at St. Mary's University, and that class is the practicum internship. So the students I have, they're about to get out into the real world and face these stats that you just named. And I have a whole class, one class that I dedicate, and I say, don't be a broke therapist. Mm. And I really mean that because I agree with what you said. We bring so much value to the table, but if you don't know your value, then it's going to be so hard for anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so what I've been able to do and what I try to empower my students to do is that you're going to have to diversify. You, you know, the license is powerful. And with that license, you can do multiple things. So, yes, you may have a job that you work. Maybe you work part time and that job gives you your benefits. But then you have a private practice. Mm-hmm. You can also write and publish books. You can do online courses. There's so many things you can do. You can do supervision. Um, you can take that license and really make it what you want to make it. And you have to just kind of think about that. Um, for instance, uh, right now, uh, about a year and a half ago, I started an EAP program, an employee assistant program. So my office doesn't just do counseling where you come in, that kind of like the face-to-face, but we go into organizations that typically maybe traditionally wouldn't have counseling for their employees, Mm. and we're able to partner with them. We chose specifically the logistic industry, automotive logistics, because that's an industry that has high mental health needs, but low access to services. And um, so that's an industry that when we walked in the door, they were like, oh my gosh, yes, we want to figure out how can we consult with you? How can you come in and give a talk? How can you come in and give a presentation? And yes, sign me up for your EAP program as well. So it is all about diversifying, taking that license and looking at what are multiple streams of income? How do I do that? And that's how I've seen other therapists be successful, and that's how I've been able to keep myself out of those stats. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I've had people who have gone back, gotten their um, counseling degree, and invariably they always say, I wish there was a business private practice 101 course in graduate school because so many therapists do go out and open their own private practice, right? You want the flexibility. You want I'm going to say the control of what are your hours, how you want to do it. I know one thing that I respect from you and one thing I always say to people is that you don't always have to take insurance and that flips people out. I do not take insurance. Um, I, I was very strategic about it. I looked at my competition. They do not take insurance. Our price points are about the same. Mine's a little bit more because I have more time with my clients. But tell me, tell me your philosophy on that as well. So I started out initially taking insurance. And I think if you are starting out, there's nothing wrong with that because it helps kind of get you your feet wet. You get clients. But as you grow in the industry, you have to start making a different decision because if a counselor gets licensed tomorrow and you've been licensed for 15 years, the insurance company is going to pay you the exact same amount. They're not paying you for the 15 years of experience of what you're bringing to the table, what you do different as opposed to someone. And so I, first of all, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe mm. that you're good enough and that people pay for what they value. They mm. really, really do. 
I can't tell you how many times I'll have clients that will say, you know what, man, I really didn't think I could afford this, but ultimately I value what I'm going to get from you. So I'm willing to do that. After all, I was going to spend 300 bucks or 200 bucks on some baseball tickets or whatever. And this is their mental health. Without your mental health, you're not sustainable. Right. So it's believing that it can be done. And then, you know, slowly figuring out how to do it. I say find a mentor, find somebody like me or somebody else who's been doing it and say, hey, how did you get there? Um, I want to be able to help people because I think collectively we need to, as a body, say insurance companies pay us what we're worth, um, pay us for our length of time and experience and pay us on time. A lot of people don't realize, but with insurance, if I see you today, for instance, I see you today, I submit that bill, I may not get that money for two months, a month, weeks. And so what happens to therapists is that the money is dripping in slow, slow, slow. There's no way you can pay a mortgage like Mm -hmm, that. Right. And they go out of business and you know the story. So you have to diversify You have to look at if you've been in the game for a while, maybe taking insurance is not what you need to do. And then how can you consult? How can you do different things with your knowledge? We all know as counselors, we know so much. There's Mm -hmm. specialties. People need this knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, A few years ago, I created an online course. Um, One of my areas of expertise is around self-esteem. And I knew that's something that women struggle with. And I figured, wow, they may not come in for that. But if they had an online course with several videos and handouts and things that they could be able to use, would they do that? Well, lo and behold, that's residual income. Mm -hmm. And that just comes in, and I don't have to think about it. It's on autopilot. Mm -hmm. So look at how you can create um, a diverse portfolio. Yeah, perfect. So tell me what kind of a day in the life looks like for you. So I um, I have lots of hats. Uh, A day in the life um, may start out in the morning, and I may do supervision. One of the things that I have at my office is I have several counselors who are, um, they have a bachelor's degree, they have a master's degree already, but they're getting those clinical hours. And so they get those clinical hours by me mentoring them, but also seeing clients at my office. So I may start out. I spend some time with them talking about their cases, talking about what's going right, what's going wrong, lots of mentoring. After that, I may spend a couple hours in the middle of the day actually seeing clients myself because I still love seeing people and I'll spend some time seeing clients. The back end of the day may be me going somewhere to do a talk, uh, maybe doing a podcast, meeting with a business associate. Like I said, we have an EAP program, so I may be going out with a company, doing a PowerPoint presentation, trying to let them know about our services. So my day is, and, and I love my days because it's never the same. Every day I get to do something different. I'm not just in the chair mm-hmm. seeing someone. If I was doing that eight hours a day, I would be burnt out. Mm-hmm. But right. but diversifying my portfolio has also helped to keep me sane. Mm. So where do you think we're going with this field in the next, I say five years, 10 is almost incomprehensible because of how things, how fast things are going. But tell me what your philosophy is on this. So I have, uh, obviously I have a big philosophy on this because um Preventative mental health care is important. And so right now, the stigma around mental health is still so huge. And that's what drives a lot of people from not coming in. And where I want to see us go is that we really take on a preventative model across board in the United States, meaning that just the same way you would go in for your annual mammogram Mm -hmm. and you would go in for your annual everything else, that mental health would be seen in the same light. And so to me, that automatically takes away the stigma. I'm just doing my annual. Mm. And I think 
that if we were doing that, how many things we may be able to catch. In that annual, a therapist may be able to say, hey, you know what? I didn't know if you realized it, but it really sounds like you're struggling with a little bit of anxiety here. Why don't you come back in for another visit? Or, hey, you're doing great. Mm -hmm. I'll see you in six months. Because we have a very reactive model right now, you go get help when things are really, really bad. We end up seeing people that are in crisis, that have waited too long. And this is across the spectrum. I'm talking about from an adolescent who's having anxiety to a marriage that's falling apart. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see a preventative model and in a big way where we see our politicians and people talking about, hey, I'm going in for my checkup. How do we break the stigma? We make it normal. We mm-hmm. make it every day. We don't break the stigma by having a um, a mental health month that all of a sudden we're talking about it and putting a 1-800 number over the screen. Right. That makes it weird and different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way. I think the other thing that's happening in the industry is technology. Mm. Um, we are right now seeing a big surge with technology. A lot of people want to be able to have counseling, but they can't come in. So being able to use telemedicine and teletechnology, that's big. And we have to really solidify that technology to where it's, um, you know, a lot of times that technology breaks down right now and you know, we can't see that person or things happen. Mm-hmm. So being able to create new technologies that help people to access services in a smooth, easy, effective way. Right. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's one reason why I brought, um, I was so passionate about angst because half of the clients that I see, and remind, I have adults and young adults self-identify in their intake process as, as having anxiety. And what was really cool from that whole um, engagement, that four-month process mm-hmm. <laughs> that pretty much took over my life. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you were there. Yes. Um, was just as an FYI, because I'm always about promoting and, and educating people. But from that was an interaction with um, the Molak family that's here in San Antonio. And they lost their son, David, a few years ago to cyberbullying and made an introduction with um, the CEO of IndieFlix. And they told um, Sheila their story. And from that, um, they're now actually featured in the new documentary called The Upstander which is going to be shown all over the world and it is going to change and it is going to save lives. And I highly, highly recommend that if you're an educator, you go look it up on IndieFlix. I think it's .com, maybe .org and ask for a preview um, because it, they did a phenomenal job. And the story they tell about David and what happened to him, I will tell you, I literally found I could not catch my breath. Um, so just, you know, there's so many things out there. And, and even with my college students and anxiety, you know, when I go to career conferences, the, the health professionals at universities say, look, it takes two to three months for them to get in to see us. And I can only see them about two or three times. Well, you know, Dr. Neely, that's not even enough to build rapport. Absolutely. And I hear it even from my daughter who has shared stories about people that she knows that they were in a mental health crisis and they could not get into the universities. So there's just so much need and um, just the conversation is so critical. Yeah, I can't agree more. I think especially when you think about college students, I know that they are at great risk because of the fact that sometimes they're away from home, they're isolated. And so um, there's just a need to just keep this conversation going. Right. I absolutely agree. So as we kind of come to the end, um, I always am curious about kind of three words of wisdom 
Um, and so tell me what you would say to our listeners. You know, I think one of the first things I would say is that if you're thinking about doing this, uh, don't let anybody put limitations on you. Mm. There's a path. There's a way. Um, there were so many times people said to me, you're never going to make money doing this. If you want this, don't let anybody stop you. There's a way. Figure it out. People ahead of you have done it. So I would say go for that. Um, something else would be find a mentor. Really find that mentor that can take you there as well. And then and then diversify. If you get into the field, don't just do one thing. Know that in order for you to really be successful with this license, that you're going to have to do multiple things. But that's what makes it cool. Mm-hmm. And one thing I wanted to hit on um, before we ended kind of was the difference between mental health and social work. Can you speak to that? Yes. So I like to say that they're cousins. They're <laughs> they're very closely related. They have lots of traits, but they are distinctly individual. So when I think about social work on a very basic level, and I'm talking about just with having like a bachelor's degree or even a master's degree and not being licensed, they connect people with services. Right. And so if you think about, you know, for instance, maybe there's a family who's in a hospital and that family has been hit with devastating news. That social worker may do everything from, hey, give them a parking pass so that that is not a cost to help them figure out about um, the medical uh, things that are going on. Whereas a counselor would go in with that family and talk about that lived experience Mm -hmm. and help them with coping skills and help them be able to process what they're dealing with. So a social worker helps connect you with services as opposed to a counselor who's in the trenches. Now, the caveat to that is that a social worker can go back to school, get advanced certifications and become licensed to actually do both do all of the connecting, but also provide some of that counseling. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Because I know a lot of people will say, gosh, I'm interested in social work, but then, you know, I'm looking at being a therapist. Aren't they the same? And I say the exact same thing. It's all about services and resources. Exactly. Good. Well, Dr. Neely, thank you so much for being a part of it. Um, I, like I said, you know, she keeps saying a thing about um, find mentors and it is so critical. Um, I think that's what I love most about um, the field that I'm in, even though it's not a, a full-fledged mental health field, mm-hmm. is that you're constantly saying, hey, have you read this book? Or here's an article. That's how I learned about angst was my therapist friend up in Keller who said, hey, I went to this documentary. I think you need to see it. That is what I think is one of the beautiful gifts about the the counseling field that people don't realize is that it is all about um, building really incredible professional relationships. Yes, yeah. it definitely is. So if you're interested in getting access to the podcast um, when they're released, please sign up at whatsyourcareerstory.com. Um, we'll be airing two new career stories each month. We have a couple of very fascinating people coming up. One is um, a CEO for an oil and gas company out of Houston. And the next month, we're actually highlighting a public health person who is involved with the coronavirus. So that is going to be a fascinating podcast to just learn about what that field looks like. Um, In addition, if you have young adults who don't know what they want to do with their lives, that's why I'm here. I'm passionate about helping them identify um, ideal career paths through formal career exploration and aptitude testing. Um, And what's really cool is that I do the tello, tella. Um, <laughs> I have clients all over the U.S. through Skype very successfully. So college is just way too expensive to flounder, and there are actual ways to make informed decisions. But remember, career exploration is not just for young adults. It's for adults as well. So if you're stuck and happy and you haven't found your passion, we're here to help. We look forward to having you join us next month and hope you all proceed with confidence. 
Thank you for listening to What's Your Career Story. If you'd like early access to episodes, you can join us at whatsyourcareerstory.com. If you'd like to learn about Career Path, sign up for our monthly newsletter, which is also available at whatsyourcareerstory.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.